0: Well, you may be seated, and happy Mother's Day. It is such a joy to get to celebrate moms this morning, and uh, I just want to say thank you for the love and the sacrifice that you pour out on your children and your families. And I just want to say, just knowing my own mom and knowing my wife, who is a mom, wow, what incredible just graciousness. I I have to say, I got to brag on my wife for just a second because she balances me out incredibly. I'm kind of a black and white personality, kind of, you know, just see things as they are. But my wife is so gracious, so compassionate, and so good with the kids. And I'm so grateful for the way that she helps me in just having a compassionate heart. So I love the way that you moms have been wired and gifted, and the way that you love your children, your families in such powerful ways. And we know that there are all types of moms in this room this morning. We know that there are stepmoms and adoptive moms, foster moms, and um, let's see, single moms. We know that there are also moms who have lost uh, children. We know that there are moms that are soon-to-be moms. We know that there are uh, moms that are mommies at heart that are trying to be moms. There's all types in this room and we celebrate you today and really just as a very, very small uh, gift and especially in comparison with the incredible outpouring of love that you give, we wanna offer you a little carnation as you leave this, this morning. When you walk out the doors, there's will be some ladies that will be passing those out. Feel free to take one. We'd love for you to, to be honored in that way. It's just so small, but we we love you all and we're so grateful for all that you pour into your family's lives. So we wanted to uh, actually look at a couple of uh, fun little cartoons in honor of you. Mother's Day, or uh, sorry, Motherhood Incorporated. One vacation day a year, that's all I get. We call it Mother's Day, but technically you still have to work. I hope that Every mom in this room gets a break today. It's, uh, you pour so much into your family's lives. And then, of course, for those of you with littles at home, you can relate, I'm sure. And lastly, happy Mother's Day to super moms everywhere. So we're grateful for you all. And as we talk about and celebrate moms today, we want to, uh, we want to begin a message series this morning called Legacy, Old Testament Leaders. And what we're going to be looking at is several Old Testament characters in the scriptures over the next few weeks leading into the summer. And this morning, as you could guess, we're going to be looking at the story of Hannah as we heard from the scripture passage reading this morning. Hannah was a remarkable woman who went through a very difficult trial that God had used in her life, but he also used her in a very powerful way for his redemptive story in the life of his nation, nation Israel. And really, we all get to benefit from the blessings of what, how God used Hannah. And so we wanna look at that this morning. What we're gonna do is we're gonna, this is kind of the overview, where we're going. So we're gonna look at Hannah's situation specifically and her sorrow, and then we're gonna dive in and talk a little bit more about her salvation. And I wanna to submit to you that I think her salvation was not what you think it is. And we'll look more at that in a minute. But let's let's review what the cast of characters were, okay? So we have Hannah's husband is Elkanah, and he has two wives. One is Penina, who had many sons and daughters. And then we have Hannah, who's dealing with infertility as we enter her story, okay? So two things that I want to address right off the bat. One is this issue of polygamy, Okay. So, how many of you have ever seen that show on TLC called Sister Wives? Uh, I know, yeah, nobody wants to raise their hand and admit it, right? <laughs> I, uh, I have only seen clips. I've not even seen a full episode, but just out of just sheer curiosity, like, what in the world? How does this, how does this work financially, emotionally, legally? I mean, it's just, it's kind of bizarre, right? that there 's a guy named Corey that has four wives, and that 's the essence of the show and It goes about their you know reality TV show daily Lives and all the things and complexities that come up with that and I could only imagine it 's been going for about eight or nine seasons uh, and i 've only seen probably about five minutes' worth of clips in its entirety, but it, even in just seeing that, my mind is just i 'm very uh, messed up with watching that. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. And the reason why I feel such kind of weirdness about it is because that's just not the way that God designed it, right? God designed marriage to be one man and one woman. And so when we see situations like this in the Old Testament where we have polygamy in various cases and we have other situations where these Old Testament heroes and heroines of the faith are in very different, very different cultural uh, situations, we have to scratch our head a little bit and say what what 's going on with that?" Well, I want us to recognize that as we look at these characters through this series, remember that what they do isn 't necessarily always condoned by or, or even uh, ordained by god uh, i mean it's in, this, in the sense that he 's not advocating polygamy in this situation, and so when we when we see these Old Testament characters and the situations that they're in, even in the sin that they encounter or they engage in, we've got to remember that these people are just that. They're people. They're human beings who they are being used by God, their stories, the characters, even throughout the entire narrative of God's word, we see that these people are being used by God to tell, point us, to Christ, right? They are human beings, fallible, sinful, just like all of us. God uses them in powerful ways and he highlights in their faith and their faithfulness. But nonetheless, they are characters that God uses to point us to Christ. So remember that as we study these characters and these stories, they are all leading us to our savior in this fallen and broken world. Now, the other Situation that we want to address this morning on Mother's Day of all days is the issue of Hannah's infertility. And I realized that on Mother's Day, it is a day for celebration. It is a day for joy, but it is also a day that brings up a lot of pain for many. And so as I was preparing this message and as I was getting closer and closer to this moment of getting to share and talk through this, I just felt absolute inadequacy to be able to even begin to to enter into and talk about the level of pain that some of you have endured, whether it's through infertility, whether it's through miscarriage, or even the loss of your child that's been born. I'm, not, I'm a man, first of all. So I, I don't know that level of pain. I'm also... We've not encountered that in our experience, my wife and I. But I, even though I, I cannot relate in that way, I do care. And I want to minister to you, and I hope that my words are sensitive and gracious, and I hope that the Spirit will use my words to comfort. And I would like to just stop and pray right now. For those of you that are hurting this morning, let's pray. Lord, I recognize that while I cannot relate and I do not know the depth of pain that some in this room have been going through or have even been going through very recently, I pray, Lord, that you would use me to comfort. And I also pray that you, your spirit, would be comforting ministering to, and providing peace for those that are hurting right now. I pray that you would make your presence known and felt. I want to pray for Steve Blumstead, who has just recently lost his mom. I pray for um, Jen Strong. I pray for Shirley Smith, who have recently lost children. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone else in this room that needs your Tender care today of all days as a mom, as a family. I pray, Father, that you would be with them. I pray for those that are struggling through infertility. God, I pray that you would care for them, that your spirit would abide with them, that you would be with them and that you would be their source of strength. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, moving forward to see more of what Hannah encountered and what she endured, we see that there were two voices in her life. And as you look at the scripture, one was Penina. So we, we see in the passage that because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, as it says, Penina, used to provoke her grievously, irritating her year by year and it says that twice, that, that she continued to provoke her. And so what we see here is a situation where Penina is kind of this voice of the culture, in a sense. And think about it in this way. In that day and age, it was, uh, it was really essential for ladies to, to have children, families to have children, not just for the sheer blessing and joy of having children, but really for their own livelihood as a family, If you think about an agrarian society, they needed children in order that they could help with the livestock, help with the farm, help to produce for the family. They were really the the workforce for that family unit. But then on top of that, if you think about it, they didn't have nursing care facilities. They didn't have Medicare, any of these uh, other things that we have in our society. And so as parents would grow older, it was the children that were going to be able to be their security and take care of them in their twilight years especially. And so Penina is, is really that voice of that culture that, why aren't you having kids? What's going on? And she's chiding her relentlessly, provoking her, irritating her, and saying, this is what's expected of you. Why aren't you living up to it? So the voice of Penina is one in which that uh, we could equate to build your life on the cultural expectation. So what what uh, what can we say in relationship to that? How can we relate to what Hannah's situation was in that sense? What are the cultural voices that are speaking into our lives today? For you ladies, it may be similar in that, you know, have children. That's, that's one of the expectations maybe that's either you're placed on yourself or that's placed on you by family or others around you. Maybe it's to have good looks or career advancement. Um, For men, it probably is related to career. I know it is for me. The voices of the culture tend to really push me to think about myself and about promotion and about um, what I'm doing that uh, is impacting others. And I tell you what, just to be completely vulnerable with you guys, Uh, I wish that I could say that in the ministry, it's all very spiritual. But for me, in my own heart, I get distracted with things that are cultural and that um, are fleeting. For instance, we live in a world of celebrity pastors. We have so many people, men and women, honestly, on these national and worldwide platforms in which they are prolific writers They are speaking at everybody's conferences, they're blogging, they're doing these video series, they're doing all these things and having this incredible impact. And I start to play the comparison game and I start to go, well, am I doing anything of significance in comparison with these people who are just blowing up all over the internet and people know, everybody knows their name and all this kind of stuff. And I start to get Uh, caught in that vortex of wanting my name to be known. And it's not about, and then it starts to be not about Jesus, not about serving him, but about me. And so all these cultural expectations begin to press upon me about things that really aren't valuable. But what we do is we tend to find our self-worth, our value in those things in the culture, right? Those are the voices that we hear. Maybe you can relate to some of those things. Maybe as a man, you can relate to the fact that you're looking for career advancement or uh, how much money you make or whatever it might be. But all of those things distract us from what's most important. Those are the voices that come into our minds, into our hearts. Another voice that Hannah was faced with was Elkanah's. Okay, and so if you look at Elkanah, he is a loving, loving husband, And I think he's got good intentions, but look at exactly what he says. You know, in in, uh, earlier on in the passage, they go to uh, make sacrifice and Elkanah sacrifices and he gives a portion to Penina and all of her sons and daughters. But he gives a double portion to Hannah. Right. And then he moves on and Hannah is oppressed by this this expectation that's been placed upon her and the provoking from Elkanah, I'm sorry, from Penina, the provoking and irritation and, the, and the, the constant chiding from Penina that why aren't you having kids? And so she is distressed deeply in her spirit. She is depressed, honestly. If you look at what, she, what she's encountering, she's not eating, she's weeping. And Elkanah comes to her and says, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Clueless husband, right? And then he goes on to say, Am I not more to you than ten sons? Oh, Elkanah, that's just not good. It is not helpful at all. He is trying to fix it, right? Husbands, I think we could probably all relate. He's trying to fix it, and he's uh, not making it better. But the voice that he is saying is he's saying, why don't you just build your life on my love and affection, right? So this, the, these are the voices that Hannah's hearing. One is build your life on these cultural expectations, which, by the way, are impossible to meet. I mean, think about Hannah's predicament, right? Hannah can't just flip a switch and get pregnant. These These expectations that Panina are putting on her are impossible for her to meet on her own. And so it is with us. Think about the expectations that we place on ourselves or that our culture places on us. They're impossible to meet because there's always going to be someone better. There's always going to be someone that makes more money. There's always going to be someone more influential. No matter how much we strive to meet these kinds of expectations, they are impossible to truly achieve. Therefore, why would we place our self-worth on something that is impossible to meet? But on the other side here, Elkanah says, build your life on my love and affection. And and at the outset, it seems good and it seems like a worthy thing. But if you think about it, it's not the best thing for Hannah. And for her to, to just dive in with that would have actually made that whole peculiar relationship with Penina and Elkanah Even worse, imagine if Hannah had gone back to Penina and said, well, you may be having his children, but I have his love. Talk about toxic. That would have just made it really spiral as if it weren't bad enough already. So again, a poor substitute for what God really wants for Hannah and what God really wants for us. So those are the two voices. But how does Hannah respond So we see that she rises in verse nine. After they'd eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah got up. She made decisive action and she moved forward to go into the temple and pray. She was deeply distressed and in her weeping, she prays out to the Lord. And she says this, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now there's a lot, lot in this. Let me unpack it for a second. First of all, notice how she says your servant three times. She is truly submitting herself to the Lord. She is saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. What's more is that she says, if you will look upon me and provide a son, then she makes this vow. She says, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now, this is interesting. What she's doing here is she is making a Nazarite And let me explain exactly what that is. Okay, so you've got the tribes of Israel, right? Multiple tribes, but one of those tribes, the Levites, were actually consecrated, set apart for a specific purpose. And that was to be priests and priest assistants and take care of all that was uh, expected within the tabernacle and the temple. Okay, so that was their role. They did not inherit wealth. They did not inherit land. In fact, God had set aside specific places for the Levites to be able to be, to, to live, and to take care of all things related to temple worship, sacrifice, etc. okay? Now, of the tribes outside of the Levitical tribe, there were people that could make what's called a Nazarite vow, and they could come in and for a, pre-designated period of time they would take this vow and then they also would assist with and take care of be priests and other things related to the temple okay so that's the nazirite vow and and we know she's making a nazirite vow simply because she says no razor will touch his head that was one aspect there were three things specific to the nazirite vow that was they didn't get a haircut they didn't um, drink alcohol and they didn't touch dead corpses, okay? So those were the things that were very unique and specific to the Nazarite vow. But notice also the length of time that she designates this vow for. It's not just for a season. It's not just for a few years of his life. It is for his entire life. And there were only two characters that we know of that were Nazarites for their entire life in the Bible. One was Samuel Hannah's son and the other was Samson who was dedicated also by his mother to be Nazarite for his entire life. So typically that, that, that was not the length of time that one would be part of this vow fulfillment. So this is, this is big because what Hannah is essentially doing is she's saying, God, I see this, this, uh, this gift of childbirth And of having a child. And I want to participate in this. But I don't want to do it for me. I no longer want it to be about me having the child. I want it to be for you. And for your purposes. And how do we know that? Because if you think about what were all the benefits been for Hannah to have a child. One, it would have been to fit in. right? To fit in when she goes to the marketplace. She as a married woman. She has a child with her accompanying her and being a part of that whole process. But think about that. If he is at the temple, serving at the temple, which is in a distant location from where they live, that's of no benefit to her, right? Second thing, think about the value that children had to a family, being able to uh, care for the crops and livestock and even the security that that would be in their twilight years. Again, of no benefit simply because He's not there. He's not available to help in that process. And then lastly, just the joy of having children, little hugs and sitting on your lap and reading them bedtime stories and butterfly kisses and all those kinds of things. Again, of no benefit to her because he's not there. And so she was truly giving the Lord her desires and her child. If God should choose to give her a child, he was giving that, she was giving that entirely over to him. Not my will, but yours be done. Not for me, but for you. So then, moving forward in the latter part of this chapter, we see the response. How does, how does she then go from there she has this encounter with Eli and she uh, she spends some time talking with him and he says to her, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away, went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Now notice the distinction of where she was before she was, Weeping bitterly. She could not eat. She was distressed. She was truly depressed. But then after pouring out her soul before God, making this request to him saying, God, it's, it's not about you. It's, a, it's not about me. It's about you. She is at peace. Now she doesn't even know whether God is going to answer her prayer, right? She doesn't know whether she will truly get pregnant or whether God will ever Respond to this prayer, but she goes away in peace. And her face was no longer sad, and she ate. Very contrasting disposition from where she was just moments before. So I want us to think about the voices in our lives, and I want us to listen to the one voice that will give freedom, that will give peace. Years ago when Hudson my son was about 4 or 5 years old he and I were home together he was playing in the playroom and I was kind of going about the house doing some touch up paint and some other odds and ends and our house in Dallas was it was really long you could see the front you could see the back door from the front door and you could see the playroom which was next to the back of uh, the house from the front and so Where I was, I could kind of see him. He was an eye uh, vision from where I was, but I was kind of, you know, focused on, you know, touching up paint and doing some other things. And so I kind of, you know, peek on him every once in a while. Of course he was four. So he was, you know, he's playing, having a good time. And then at one point I was kind of stepped around the corner, uh, again, on the opposite side of the house. And I hear this little voice saying, honestly, I couldn't even hear what it, what it, what it was. But it was just enough of a sound that made me curious. And I kind of peeked around the corner to see what he was doing and what he was up to. And I saw him and he was in a really precarious, dangerous predicament. Um, do you guys know those little step ladders that are like two steps and they, they, they fold up like this? And, you, and I was obviously had been using that to touch up with some paint around the, the, the higher parts, parts of the wall. And he had been—he just started playing on, playing with this thing. Well, he had gotten himself trapped, where the two pieces were folding in on himself, and his neck was between the two pieces, and that—and the, his body weight was pressing the two steps together against his own air passageway, and he was trying to push, but because he was so small all of his efforts to push were only pushing the steps harder and harder against his neck and it was choking him. And with his last breath that he had, he called out, Daddy! And that's what I heard. And that's what I responded to. And it shudders me to think about what could have happened if I had not been able to hear his little voice in that moment. I think through the possibilities of what if I had had music playing in the room? What if the TV had been on? What if there had been other people in the house in the, uh, up in the bedrooms near me that I had heard their voices instead of his? And I thank God that he allowed me to hear his voice and to be able to respond to him, be able to pull him out and give him freedom from his situation. And I want us to think about that in relationship to the voices that are bombarding us. There's one voice that we need to respond to. There's one voice that when we respond, it's not to go and rescue, but it's actually for our own benefit and it's for our own freedom and it's for our own peace. There are a lot of voices coming at us. There is a lot of noise in our world. A lot of expectations, a lot of poor substitutes, a lot of stuff coming at us. But there is one voice that when we listen to his voice, we can hear clearly what what we need to hear for freedom, for peace. I believe a lot of lies about myself. And I need desperately to spend that time with Jesus every day, sometimes many times a day, to reset my thinking, to remind myself of who he is, who I am, and who I am in him. I need that for freedom because whenever I start to believe the other lies and the other messages and the other things that are tempting me to put my worth or my value in those things, then what happens is I... I become distracted, I become oppressed, I become enslaved to those things. But what Jesus wants to do is he wants to set us free. He alone is of utmost value. He alone can set us free. And he says in John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32 says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth And the truth will set you free. The reality is is that we need him. We need to spend time with him so that we can know the truth and be in freedom and experience that peace. If we want to know freedom, if we want to know peace like Hannah, then we need to listen to the voice of our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We even... Thank you so much for these moms that are here today and we celebrate them. We thank you for the story of Hannah and what a powerful legacy she has left us in the ways that she demonstrated a freedom, that she released all of these desires, good desires even, but she released them to you, Lord, that she might find peace, find freedom, find salvation in you and you alone. I pray, Lord, that if there are things in our lives that have been oppressing us, messages from the culture that we've been believing or thinking or pursuing, ways in which we have been distracted by what is most important, Lord, I pray that we would find freedom. I pray, Lord, that we would cling to you and that we would be at peace because of the joy and the truth, and the peace that you bring. Thank you so much, Lord, for this time today. May we go in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day. Moms, be sure to grab a flower on your way out. Have a great day.